You're listening to an all-new episode of Off the Rails with Sloppy Yellow. Views and opinions expressed here reflect hardcore fan perspectives and sometimes might be factual. Be advised, this podcast may contain adult language. What up, everybody? This is your resident iRacing extraordinaire expert, boy Jimmy Wags, filling in uh, for Sloppy Yellow today. I got our uh, stepbrother Billy Bradley and our uh, expert tire specialist, from the Oscar Mayer Bacon, number six Ford Mustang, Rob Lowe's. What's going on, boys? What's happening there, Wags? Good to have you. Hey, seems like I just saw you guys last night, and uh, man, it felt good to be back at a racetrack. It definitely did, man. I, I just want to first thing. I just want to give a shout out to NASCAR and to Bristol Motor Speedway for uh, everything. Just went without a hitch, and um, I, I think what uh, what they did was definitely something that uh, a lot of sports leaders are going to be looking at, and, and I can't wait to get to more races. So let's uh, let's jump right into it, guys. Let's start off with the All-Star Open. Now, Rob, we, we saw you down uh, down in turn one, man, uh, looking at the uh, looking at the cars go by, man. I, I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, but uh, what were you checking out down there? Well, it's funny you guys saw me. I mean, that's kind of interesting that you're able to pick me out of that. I mean, not that there's like – crowd of people and all but i just went in there because they applied that they applied that traction compound and they had done it that day they done it, they made the application earlier in the day it wasn't done you know earlier in the week or anything like that and i wanted to see exactly what was going on with the open cars as far as if they were going all the way to the bottom if they were not using the compound if they were only using it part way you know part way through the corner but what I what I ended up coming up with was though that everybody wanted the bottom. The, I think the only time the top was really worthwhile was for the leader on a restart, and he immediately went to the bottom. And I think a lot of and I, I'm sure you guys saw it earlier in the open. You know, everybody was trying to run middle to the top, and the bottom was a freight train, and that that was the place to be. And there was that traction compound, and I just wanted to see. Hey, what are these guys doing? Are they running midway? Are they running the bottom? You know, are they putting their tires all the way up, you know, at the bottom of the concrete? And I was just looking at that and seeing who was making time and who wasn't. And just to get an idea of what we were going to deal with later on in the night. And Billy, I, I think stage one in, uh, in the open, man, we had some fireworks, obviously, to start out with. Um, lap 18, um, the uh, early vote getter uh, for the all-star race. Uh, Bubba Wallace and Michael Madow had some contact, and uh, we got some different opinions on that. I'm going to let you go ahead and, and toss out what you think <laughs> about what happened uh, on lap 18 with Bubba and, and Michael McFowl. Well, now, when we met uh, after the Open, we had the same opinion of that, you know, he got turned. Well, I came back home after pulling a all day at the old factory today, and I said, I'm going to watch this race on TV just to – you can always get a different perspective once you see it on TV than versus watching live. And I saw that happen. I was like, holy shit, did the 24 just get into McDowell and, and, you know, cause that? And I was like, I slowed it down and started taking little steel images. I was like, holy shit, man. I, I think the 24 caused this wreck. And, you know, last night I was all over. Michael McDowell just turned him, but, you know, Bubba was pretty aggressive going up 
to the lead, uh, well, not the lead, but up to the top five. You know, he's moving people out of his way. And, you know, we've said it and said it again, you know, live by the sword, you die by the sword. And, you know, I, I got a different opinion after watching it on TV about the wreck. Well, I'm going to tell you, Billy, I think uh, you're a little tired from your shift today because there's no <laughs> way in hell I think that the 24 car had anything to do with McDowell uh, getting into Bubba. I, I don't think the contact was hard enough to, to allow McDowell to turn down into Bubba. I, I honestly think uh, he hooked him. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen those two guys race a lot during the year. McDowell's had some great runs. He had a great run at Indy. And I don't know, maybe he just misjudged the, the 43 going by him there. But I, I definitely don't think uh, the 24 – Caused McDowell to get in the 43. Rob, were you able to see anything uh, down uh, from pit road well, uh, on the accident? Huh. What what I saw was the 43, and now here again, opinions vary. But the 43 moved the 34 out of the way. He gave him a little chrome horn, got him out of the groove, went by, and as before he was able to clear him, it really, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest here. It really looked like the 43 was inside of him. The 24 was one back and the 34 was along the fence and Bubba wasn't clear and moved up a little bit. But I want to say that the 34 probably helped him and moved down and, you know, maybe went, oh, you want to, you think I'm going to give you the spot? And he just kind of turned into the rear bumper. And that ended the 43's day. But while the 34 was getting out of the way, he clipped the 24, and that's what wrecked him. That's what I saw, just my opinion. <laughs> I, think, I think we both agree with that on that, Rob. So, uh, Billy, I think, we, I think we, uh, we're outweighing there two to one on that incident. Well, I but. think you need to take your uh, 43 fan glasses off and just rewatch the replay is all I ask. Well, I think Bubba had a had a, a funny interview uh, after getting released in the care center, and he left a little early Christmas present for Michael McDowell at the back of the mm-hmm. trailer. Uh, left a little front bumper action uh, from his uh, torn up race car on the tailgate of the trailer of the 34. So I'm sure Michael Madal is going to have a nice place to put that over his fireplace for the holidays. This year. <laughs> I think it, I think the 34 team ended up pitching it in the trash. You know what? I wish we were in the garage because Billy, you would have saw me run after that thing like a, <laughs> like a house of fire, bro. I would have been all over it. They would not have been able to get me down uh, from yeah. that bumper. So. Yeah, I could bet there would be uh, plenty of fans waiting on that uh, little souvenir to be taken back home. Sure. Oh, yeah. Now, I guess the next thing, like, to to piggyback on, on that incident, you know, obviously earlier in the week NASCAR came out and said that Bubba, uh, a few days before the All-Star race, and, you know, it looked like to me, you know, as a 43 fan, I thought, well, you know, if Bubba doesn't win a stage, he's definitely in, and, Lo and behold, um, a stage one winner was Eric Almarola. William Barber won stage two going away, and um, Matt DiBenedetto won stage three in the open. And lo and behold, your boy, Clint is my boy, won <laughs> the all-star vote, fan vote outright, which – But, 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 here – well, what, did he really? Yeah, did he really well, win it? 
I think I think what got us confused was is that Mike Joyce said on the broadcast that he was the outright uh, fan vote winner, and you know, I guess with I think what I have trouble with is why would NASCAR announce Bubba being a fan vote leader heading up into the race? Um, I, I have no idea because now you got people saying, well, you know what, my favorite driver isn't uh, isn't leading the fan vote. Let's you know, let's try to I don't know circumvent the the rules of voting to try to get the guy that we want in there. I, and I'm not saying that, you know, Clint Boyer did anything like that, which I would never, you know, Clint Boyer is, is a fan favorite and one of my favorites to watch out on the track, but I don't know. I guess we'll never know because NASCAR doesn't release those stats as far as uh, the total vote. But um, ultimately, obviously Bubba didn't wind up transferring uh, because of the accident and uh, Clint Boyer got in based on the fan vote. Um, yeah. Do you, do you so, guys think a little uh, background? A little background on that fan vote, Wags. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. A little background on that is, I think there's some stipulations that go with it. Like I'm pretty sure. Well, one, you have to be running at the end of the end of the event. That's what I'm because, wondering. So he he and he may as well. Uh, Bubba may has may has very well been leading the fan vote. Um, but since he was out of the race, they then it goes to the next the next one in line. That's what I was going to ask and, right there. And it goes, and it goes all, and it, and it works its way down. Like, like, like there's, there's a pro, protocol, so to speak for that. And I think you have to be running at the end of the event in order to transfer via the vote. Um, the, the peculiar thing that, and we, we hit on this last week was I don't ever remember NASCAR releasing who's leading the fan vote situation, you know, since they started doing it that early. Like, they might have said it, like, put it up on the Jumbotron, you know, while the event's going on or what have you. But I don't remember them letting that information out that early, unless it was to draw more people in to vote and to, you know, put some buzz around that again. Because – as we all know, there was lots of buzz about this event, and that was just that was about the only thing that actually carried over from the All Star races at Charlotte was the fan vote. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So, and I, I think in years past, I think they've only like announced just the top ten guys. You know, as far as who's in the top ten of votes, and like you said, I don't think I ever recall them saying anything about well, this person right now is the leading vote getter prior to the event starting. I guess that that jumps into my next question. Should the fan vote winner be even racing in the open? What do you well, think, Billy? I, here's what I think about it. You know, the the open, once the guys win the segment, they, they park them. They're done. They're automatically in. There's no use in finishing the other two stages. So why not go ahead and get that fan vote? If he's in, uh, he's in. Don't. Don't put him in the open to tear up his equipment. And I'm glad Rob mentioned that because that's what I was going to ask. Did Clint Boyer actually win it, or was he the highest fan boat that was car was still capable of running in the showdown? Yeah. I mean, you would have to say that's it. If, if indeed everything that we saw earlier was what it was. You know, I mean, I I, I didn't pay much attention to it. And maybe you guys did. I don't know. But I, I know that in the past, like, if you were if you were the fan, fan favorite vote, and let's say you won a segment, 
well, then it went to the next one. And then if that one got wrecked out, then it went to the next one. Like it, it, you know, followed down the line. So it's really hard. I mean, who knows, who knows where Clint really was? You know what I mean? Maybe he was the outright leader to begin with. Maybe he wasn't. I have no earthly idea. And we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. NASCAR's not going to step on, you know, anybody's toes and, and come out and say anything like that. So, um, let's get to the stake, man, between these potatoes, guys. The uh, 2020 version of the uh, NASCAR All-Star Race moved to Bristol Motor Speedway from Charlotte uh, due to the uh, COVID-19 uh, surge in, in the Charlotte, uh, North Carolina area. Um, real quick, guys, what, what do you think your thoughts uh, were on the race moving to, to Bristol? Uh, I thought it was a great move. I was uh... – there will be some changes. Granted, this is the first time we've ever done this. So, you know, I, I saw some changes as a fan. I would like to see uh, maybe a little bit longer uh, final stage. You know, I thought those 35 lap segments were perfect. Like, it was just enough for a run to get going. But, you know, they really, like Rob spoke on earlier, is that, that lower groove. That seemed like that higher groove wasn't getting worked in to about the last few laps. You know, the 18 had it working in pretty good there uh, with a lot five to go, but it just ran out of time. But as far as moving the track around, I like it. I mean, I'd love to see it stay at Bristol, but I'd also be okay to see it move around. And I did some a little research that, you know, it's funny that, it's been moved like one other time in Atlanta, and you know who won that race? Bill Elliott. And the only other one was Chase Elliott. So I, I see that was pretty interesting. That's a hell of a How did you stumble man. across that? I might have heard some boys on Sirius XM talking on the way to work. And okay. Billy, you, you know we don't do any damn research on this damn show whatsoever. I just happened <laughs> to stumble across Sirius XM. Uh, talking about it so it really wasn't research it was turned on the radio <laughs> so, all pretty good i think uh a couple other first obviously in the all-star race we had the uh the numbers slid back uh for the first time to allow uh sponsors to to get into that space um in front of all right guys well yeah next we're going to go to the uh the <laughs> potato segment here and and we're going to dive right into the All-Star Race. Obviously, the All-Star Race moving from Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, to Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, I think everybody's really excited about getting the All-Star Race at Bristol. And a couple, couple new wrinkles to the All-Star Race. Uh, first thing we'll, we'll hit on, guys, uh, I'm sure you guys are we're both happy uh, to see uh, uh, with the numbers sliding back uh, from the traditional center door to right in front of the, uh, the rear, uh, rear tire well there. Um, I, I, I'll go out there. I'll tell you, I, I'm a very traditional type person. I love the brand identity of where the numbers are. And it, it took a little bit to get used to seeing the numbers there. But ultimately, I, I thought it was okay. I thought some teams could have had slightly bigger numbers uh, to make it more prominent. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think, uh, I think it's going to be something that we're going to see off in the future. Uh, Rob, what's your thoughts, man? What do you think about the, the numbers sliding back there? Well, I, I'll tell you what. I, I'm kind of like you, Jimmy. I mean, I like, you know, I like the center door number. I like things, I like things the way they were, but I will say this, um, with that number sliding back, it gave the car a different look and it definitely gave a little more sponsor presence to the car. 
you know, you're, you're able to see the whole logo because a lot of the logos, you know, and even the name across, you know, the, the quarter and over the door or over the wheel opening, it, you, you kind of lose a little bit there. I think it definitely gave a little more sponsor presence to the side of the car. It was very, you know, you, you could use the whole logo. You can make your logo a little bit bigger. Uh, I think there's some traction there. I think we might, we might see a change when it comes to that, especially uh, since our sport is so sponsor-driven. A little more exposure for them will definitely keep them happier. I think it's a nice little change. It's, it's. I, I don't know what, you, what I don't know. I want to use the word subtle. Do you think it was subtle or do you think it was pretty drastic? I mean, me personally, I thought it was drastic. Billy, what, uh, what's your thought? Yeah, about Billy, where are you at on this? Uh, I think I think Rob hit on it very good right there. I think they're a sport that is very very sponsor driven. I wasn't a fan of it. You know, there was a few cars that I did like that they really didn't shrink their number up all that well. But, you know, that number, as we talked about, that number is the driver's brand these days. Like, you know, from race to race, you know, they're going to have different sponsors all the way throughout the year, you know. But that's how we relate to the driver is the number. And I'm afraid it might be here to stay just to the fact of the sponsors, but I'm not a fan of it. I definitely – I would say I'll go around the horn, guys. Uh, did you guys have any favorites um, uh, as far as the paint scenes go? I, I personally – I like Michael McDowell. I'm sorry, not Michael McDowell. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Uh, There's a little Freudian slip uh, for you right Matt, there, buddy. I like, hey, look, <laughs> I like Matt DeBettadetto's paint scheme. I thought the 21 car was real clean with the uh, with the Menard sponsorship there. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, who was you guys' favorite uh, uh, Wednesday night? Go ahead, um, Billy. I, I would go. I like, you know, I was sitting right in front of Rob and them in the, the stands. You know, their uh, paint scheme was pretty good. And as bad as I hate to say it, I really liked Austin Dillon's paint scheme. That three look good over just right behind the door you know and i really not a big fan of austin dylan but i really liked his paint scheme that night <laughs> rob did you have a favorite from my uh, wednesday night of course i did the six well there were some good looking cars i thought the one looked pretty neat because you're able to, Monster was able to really use a lot, you know, the, having that Monster logo there is really usual, utilizing a space. And, you know, their color scheme didn't change. You know, it was that matte black, that flat black. And you put that Monster in those big letters right there on the door. It looked real. I thought it looked really cool. But I liked ours as well. It gave Oscar Meyer some exposure. You know, a little better, you know, a little better logo pop for them. You know, there were some bacon strips on there and stuff. You got to like the bacon. I don't know how, you know, bacon goes with everything. Bacon covers everything. It's a condiment. It's a meal. It's whatever you want it to be. So, I, I, I would have said Oscar Myers should have actually put, you know, real, like, graphics of bacon in that, that doorbell there and made that, man, man, it would have made me hungry for some bacon. I would have left the track craving bacon on that on, uh, from seeing that pasting. So, Oscar if you're listening, the next time you guys do that, add some bacon strips to that door. That, uh, that door. Uh, on the it, would, it wouldn't have done much good because the track, I don't think, was just prepared for the fans. Like, you know, we ran out of beer and drinks in the area where I was sitting. So, I mean, same thing we did with the football game. Like, I don't think they were prepared for the amount of 
stuff that people were coming in to buy. So were, were you were you able to purchase stuff? Yeah, like yeah. Concession stands were open and everything. Open, you just it was cashless. Yep. You had debit card. I mean, they saw. I got you. Everything. So I think That's I think cool. the numbers slid back. Uh, a lot of people seem to like it, and uh, uh, I think it, it got a glowing review uh, from most of the fans. So we'll, we'll transition into the next uh, new wrinkle onto the All Star race uh, on the rear of the cars. I personally, I, I liked it. I thought that, that they could have did more by doing the underglow or along the, the entire underbody of the car instead of just the rear and, and, and having more so that it it matches the scheme because the scheme is really really what makes what makes the car pop. And, um, Rob, what, what was your thoughts on, on the underglow, man? Uh, not a huge fan. It's, I'm, I'm going to say it's just not for me. Uh, from the feedback I've gotten from some folks, it seemed like it drew in some of the younger crowd. And it's definitely a different look for our cars. It's, uh, it reminds, it reminded me of like a street race or a, or a swap meet or something like that. You know, you got hot rods sitting around and some other things. Uh, it, I, I think there might be some tweaking to do for maybe the special events. Maybe you can do that, you know, again, at the all-star race next year. Um, but I think from a week to week standpoint, I don't think that that's the direction we need to go. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, what I do you think, agree Billy? with that. I think it should be a one-race deal. But Billy Bradley absolutely loved the underglow. He was so excited. He could not wait to get to the track to see the underglow. Isn't that right, Billy? Yeah, I thought it was the most idiotic thing we've seen. You know, we've seen some dumb <laughs> shit here lately. You know, I've seen several small kids that said they liked it. One, Kevin Harvick's son. He's already a fan of the sport. Two, Kyle Busch's son. He's already a fan of the sport. You're not going to attract these smaller kids in with these lights. Just to, they see it on TV, they're not going to come into that. But just doing it one time, I can get behind that. What's all we do it all year long is this all-star race. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it should be a one-race deal and, and just do the entire card. So. Uh, we'll jump into the race itself, guys. Four stages. Stage one was uh, 55 laps, and Ryan Blaney dominated there. I was bummed to let a few laps to begin with. Uh, stage two, 35 laps, and uh, right, you guys, the Rocket Man had a little bit of trouble, man. He was a little loose there and, uh, and spun her off uh, off the turn and, and just kissed the inside wall. Uh, what was uh, what was the Rocket Man saying about what happened there? We were we were fighting loose all night, like wrecking loose. Uh, we came down at the end of that first stage and pitted, took a swing at it to tighten him up, and I think we went in the right direction, but it was still too loose for him. Swapped ends. Fortunately, we didn't hit anything till the race car. We had to come down. Obviously, we had flats. We had to come down, put another set of tires on, which put us in a bind from a tire standpoint. But um, took another swing at it with some air pressure, with some chassis. And what we ended up, what ended up happening in such a short race, you can get in a, at a track like that, you can get behind pretty quick. And we were never really able to make up the ground because we never got the car underneath of him where he needed it. For what, for what, for the race, what it was, he needed to be much tighter and we didn't get it there for him. So it, it just, it created an issue for us. And I think we could have done a lot better had we taken a big enough swing at it. We needed to start a tight, start tighter to begin with, but you touched on the stage lengths, and this is something that I think, and the fact that we were in Bristol, and I just want to cover this real quick. Uh, I think the all-star race at Bristol has some promise. 
because I think it was a much better race. Yeah. The that's... stage lengths need to be a little bit longer, and like like that first stage I think should be should be seventy laps. The second stage should be fifty. The third stage should be fifty, and that final stage instead of fifteen it should be thirty five. Because one of the things I noticed was, and this goes, and I'm putting it up against our our race there that we run 500 laps around there. That traction compound didn't yep. really go away in such a short event, and the top didn't have time to come in. Yeah, that brings me to my next point too, because yeah, uh, go ahead. Stage, stage three, uh, Ryan Blaney decides to stay out and not take tires. Brad Keselowski takes two tires, and and they were really able to hold their own there at, uh, in stage three until Chase with the four tires was able to get by him. And, um, you know, I think a, it, it kind of threw me off because normally Bristol was being a two-lane track. The top normally came in uh, later on in the run, and it kind of equaled out both lanes. But um, it seemed like they did a little something different with the PJ1, and, and it, you know, Lane was able to hold his own with no tires there. What, what's your thoughts, man? Yeah, uh, and I think that's a, that's a stage length thing. I think their tires would go away a little bit more uh, if you ran a little bit longer. And if the top comes in, now there's a little more a little more urgency to have fresher tires. And I think it might add a little bit, add a little bit to it if we make that race a little bit longer. Because now we're not going around a 1.5 mile racetrack. We're going around a 0.5 mile racetrack. So the laps happen a lot faster. It goes a lot faster. Right. All right. Definitely. Well. Uh, Clyde went stage three, and we got to that last 15-lap stage, and uh, sure enough, he, he got the lead, and, and he was hauling that, and uh, uh, Chase Elliott wound up winning your 2020 uh, All-Star race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, Billy, overall, what, what were your thoughts, man, on the crowd? Obviously, we were both there. Uh, we both got to hang out for a little bit. What, what were your thoughts on the crowd, man? Okay, I, I was shocked that there was that many people there, to be honest with you. You know, I'd heard rumors that they had sold, you know, half of what they had planned on selling, and they had sold, said they were selling 30,000. So then the end, I hear, is, you know, they sold 22,000 tickets. So I looked, I said, when I got there, I was like, I compared it to a normal spring race. I was like, you know, Bristol Motor Speedway, that's kind of embarrassing that you're going to release the amount of tickets sold because that's telling me you sell 20,000 tickets to a spring race but you know I, everybody was what I saw were wearing their mask I wore mine the entire race sitting in the stands because we you know we have to we have to this is something new and we have to set that bar high that you know I want to go to another race soon so Hopefully all this pans out and we're back into the stands in a couple of weeks. And Rob, you know, you guys have been obviously running with uh, very few fans. You had a thousand fans at Homestead. Uh, they allowed up to 5,000 at Talladega. So I'm sure, man, it, it was definitely a sight for sore eyes to get fans back there. And obviously, you know, none of us are uh, Chase Elliott fans, but to see all the fans get up and just absolutely cheer for Chase Elliott taking the lead, and obviously he's the most popular driver in NASCAR. He's baby Jesus, but it had to be pretty damn cool to see everybody jump up and scream and yell to, to see Chase Elliott take the lead there. Well, I, you you said it exactly. It felt so much more normal, for lack of a better term, to have some people in the seats to, for crowd reaction. Like, you could hear the crowd react over the cars 
uh, in both races, you know, with incidents on the racetrack and with lead changes, uh, when when the nine won the race, you could hear the explosion of fans and all that, you know, and the cheers and everything. And that really, that adds a lot more electricity and a lot more atmosphere to what we're doing because it's been here lately, it's been like we're going to a test. You know, it's just that everybody's in, in color and in uniform, you know. It's not a bunch of primary cars out there running around you know, with just a number on the door, it's, it's, so it's, it's kind of lost our, it's lost that feel, that atmosphere that we're used to having, and it was nice to get some of it back, and hopefully things can get closer to where we got fans in the seats every week, so they can, so the people that come can enjoy that atmosphere that you get from actually being there. I mean, it's one thing to watch it on TV, but it's something entirely different to sit in the stands, to sit in the stands and, and see and feel it all, you know? Absolutely. I could not get the wait to get my first sniff of, of burning gasoline and, and, and rubber. And I think Bristol Motor Speedway did an absolutely fantastic job. I think the only thing I would have just did, man, is just required everybody to wear masks while they were in their seats just because there were so many people. But, Billy, I, I never felt like I was sitting on top of anybody or anybody was crowding me. They spaced everybody out pretty good. Uh, for the most part, everybody was wearing their masks in the concourse. So, Definitely a lot of sports leagues are going to take a look at this and, and see what they can learn. And, uh, you know, hopefully as we continue to, to get down here through the schedule, uh, they'll allow um, even more fans to, to come to the races. So um, now, uh, obviously, with the all-star race in the bush, guys, uh, that's four races in, in about 12 days here. We're coming up on uh, Seattle's home track, uh, Texas Motor Speedway out there in No Limits, Texas. And, uh, Rob, I'm sorry to say, man, it's going to be a scorcher, man. It's supposed to be hotter than the surface of the sun out there in Texas. Um, 99 degrees with a heat index of 105, man. So, hopefully you guys uh, are going to be able to uh, keep yourselves as cool as you can and keep your driver cool out there on the track as well, too. Definitely. Um, it, it's 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 going to be completely different for us down there. We don't. Nobody has notes for as hot as it's going to be for that track that hot. We, we raced there once during the day in the spring. We raced there at night or, you know, twilight in the fall. Uh, it, and it's always a little cooler there than July, mid-July. It's going to be roasting hot. I think um, you're going to see a lot of slipping and sliding. They are applying traction compound, which should help widen that racetrack some. Uh, but it's still going to be pretty interesting to run 500 miles there in this heat. And I hope everybody out there, competitors, et cetera, drivers, team members, everyone involved that's at that racetrack takes care of themselves and doesn't take it lightly because that heat will suck the life out of you. Well, Billy Brady, they actually got smart this time at Texas Motor Speedway, and they decided to add some peanut butter jelly, some PJ1 to the outside groove. Uh, when we went there in 2017, they, they only added it to the bottom. And, uh, you know, what do you think that PJ1 is going to do to uh, to get some racing in the outside groove there? I, I think it's going to work good, but, you know, I think we're going to see enough laps that, you know, my boy Rob Lopes was on point at Bristol. You know, I told him that this PJ1, like those cars weren't, they were sticking in that stuff. And he said it gets better as it goes on. And then it did, it did. And, you know, after so long, it finally starts to wear off. And I think we're going to see that at Texas in that hot heat. And Rob, do you think you think with obviously with the heat being a factor, um, will will it, will it make it more difficult for tires to, to to get some grip there, or 
for that P.J. run really give it some grip to, to be able for those guys to run that outside line. No, I think I think the P.J. one's going to play a big part of it. It might actually save some of those race cars because uh, uh, the the heat is going to play a part for everybody. It's going to play a part for the drivers, especially later in the race. You know, they get tired as they, you know, as, as they start to get dehydrated a little bit. Um, you, you know, and as they get tired, they might think, and here's a quick example, they might think their car's tighter, but it's just their arms are tired. You know what I mean? Like they're not yeah. turning the steering wheel as much or it's taking more effort to turn the steering wheel on, and they might think their car's tighter. That heat's going to play a big part. It's going to play a big part with the tires. I think you're going to see cars slipping around a little bit more, slipping and sliding a little bit. Uh, they're going to go away a little bit faster. The PJ1 might help them hang on for a few more laps if they're up if they're up in it. Um, but here again, with that heat, I mean, do we we don't even have notes on that as far as you know how hot is too hot for that stuff. Yeah. You know, and it, it might go away a little faster during the race. So I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to be learned, a lot to pay attention to when we get down there. The heat's definitely going to play a factor. That's for sure. It's going to be a good test for you guys because you know yeah. it's going to be hot. It's going to test. It's going to test a lot of things down there. It's going to test race cars. It's going to test people for sure. Definitely. And and after Texas, man, Rob, you guys, you guys take the Kansas on Thursday. Yep. Uh, heading into to August, you got a couple double headers headed to uh, Michigan and and yep. Dover. And then uh, because of the pandemic and not being able to get that exemption waiver uh, for Watkins Glen, uh, NASCAR decided that they were going to uh, take you guys down to Daytona to do the uh, the road course at Daytona. So um, you guys going to have a, a busy, busy few weeks here headed. Uh, headed you better believe it. Texas, man. Yeah, you better believe it. The, the These these weeks right here going, going to Bristol, going to Texas, going to Kansas, that fast. And then uh, heading off to Loudoun, which would be almost like a normal week. And then we're into a couple double headers. We're going to run, what is it? Six races in four weekends in August or, or thereabout. I mean, we're, we're talking some hustling, you know, you're going to have to, going to have to be on point and be on your A game because those double headers are no easy feat with the way it's structured, having to use or needing to use the same car without going to a backup car and going to the back of the field and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's uh it's, there's a lot happening. So it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of work ahead. It's going to, it, it's going to be neat to watch and it's going to be, hopefully it's fun to watch. That's for sure. I think I'm excited to see the road course and um, they were even saying on on the film that uh, NASCAR sections one, two, and three and four at Daytona, they were even getting them seeds in that low downforce package, uh, almost 200 miles an hour. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see uh, what package they bring there and, and how well uh, those cars race there at the road course. For sure, for sure. It's it, and it's it's a new place for us. We've we've never run it, so it it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be something new, something different, um, and then. We're back there, what, two weeks later to run the Oval. So it's going to be kind of cool. It'll be a nice test for the uh, for the uh, Clash next year. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we're coming to my favorite part uh, of the show. Um, something I probably love more than Billy Bradley's brisket right about now uh, is the uh, the pick'em segment, guys. And, uh, you know, I came with Billy, but, Billy, you took him to the woodshed last week at Kentucky, man. You you came through. You had Brad Keselowski as your winner and the uh, 21 car as your dark horse. And uh, I, lo and behold, did Brad Keselowski have a shot to win? And Matt, Bede- uh, Matt DiBenedetto finishes third. Uh, wound up pushing Cole Custer to, to the lead. And 
you know, I think that's the only thing good guys we can say about Kentucky because other than that, I think they should wipe it off the face of the earth. That's how I really feel about Kentucky. But uh, old Billy Bradley uh, bringing home the dub last week and the pick em, uh pick em last week. Billy, I give you two seconds of, of, of fame here, man. What did you think about uh, the race last week? I think if we would have had a restart every five laps, the race would have been phenomenal. That was the best <laughs> part of the race was the restarts, you know, and I don't think there's a good time to go to Kentucky. We've been in the night. We've been in the day. That racetrack's just not produced the racing that it should. I'm not sure what the problem is, whether it's a track. I would put my money on it being a track problem because we we changed the cars around and it's still not produced. So I, I, I took the Kinski cars there because they seem to do pretty good there, but now, the highlight of Kentucky has always been, up to this point, the grill catching on fire in the back of a truck. Definitely. 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 Uh, Rob, I'm, I'm going to start with you, man. Uh, who's your who's your winner? Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I'm supposed to get to go first. <laughs> now, Billy won. We'll give him, we'll give him the honors. All right, Billy. We'll give him the honors. But, Rob, if you want to pick for me, you know who I'm going uh, you know what? No, because it'll piss me off. It'll piss me off if I have to say it for you instead of for me. So why don't you go ahead? Okay, I will go with Kevin Harvick and Kyle mm. Busch. God, see that's damn ridiculous. You, God damn you! That's ridiculous. It's the first week I've got to pick them in like seven weeks. Well, this is true. All right, you can have it. You can have it. All right, my Bye-bye. turn. Who's the, who's the winner? Who's the dark horse? Uh, All right, the winner, my winner down there is going to be Martin Truex. Okay. And my dark horse is going to be the 48 of Jimmy Johnson. He's damn. damn it. This is my first time being able to pick him. Guys took both of my picks, man. Oh. And y'all it know we don't It sucks to be do... last, man. You know? know. sucks to I, be last. That's okay. You know we don't do research on this show, but Kevin Harvick, uh, has won three out of the last five races at Texas, and that's going back to the repays. Jimmy Johnson finished fifth, uh, finished fifth last year in the spring race at Texas, and Harvick was sixth. So, man, uh, hey, I don't really know who that leaves me left with the pick. I'm, you know what? I'm thinking of somebody. Michael that, McDowell's uh, out there, just throwing it out there for you. Uh, and Bubba Wallace, <laughs> that could be your dark horse, man. Um, Michael McDowell, I would never, ever pick Michael McDowell. Bubba um, Wallace is out there. Um, but you know what, though? You know, I'm feeling the little, I'm feeling million dollar at uh, Billy and Rob. So, I think I'm going to take old million-dollar Clyde, Chase Elliott, nice. to win. Let's go back-to-back. Let's go back-to-back. He ran good at Charlotte. About damn near won both races at Charlotte. So, he's feeling like a million bucks right now. So, I'm going to pick million-dollar Clyde, baby Jesus himself, Chase Elliott. Uh, to take the win, and uh, my dark horse, man, who can I take as my dark horse? Um, let's uh, let's roll with. I'm gonna take Matt DiBenedetto. He had a great run at Kentucky. He finished third. He's put some good runs together, and uh, I think that Wood Brothers team has got some momentum. So my dark horse, I'm gonna take. He's in a fast forward Mustang, Matt DiBenedetto, and um, and. Uh, and hopefully a uh, million dollar cloud will bring it home for me and, and, and my my pick. So, Ooh. well, All I right. just uh, want to end it with guys. Obviously, uh, just want to thank y'all for y'all time and uh, allowing me to host and 
obviously it hasn't been uh, the best of circumstances. Um, our thoughts and prayers with our buddy, our brother uh, Dan and, and his family. Uh, Dan lost his dad a couple weeks ago. And uh, just uh, want to say that, uh, Mr. Ralph, uh, what a great person you were. What a great person we got to, to get to know you. And uh, we're thinking about you. And hopefully uh, you're up there cutting your, yeah, cutting your grass with the man upstairs. And uh, just wanted to leave you, uh, leave you with a few seconds here to – to remember uh, Mr. Ralph Hodgson. So, Dan, yes, sir. in our prayers, man. And uh, we, uh, you know, we, we want to send all positive vibes as much as we can to you guys on this difficult time. So, definitely. Yep. All right, well, that's the show for this week, guys. Rob, good luck at Texas Motor Seaway and, and try to bring home a W. And uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Be safe out there, Rob. Appreciate it, Billy. Thank you, Jimmy. Great job today, guys. See you, guys. I'll catch you on the rebound. See y'all. All right. See you. What's going on in the world right now? We appreciate you spending a little time with us. Before you leave, take a minute and check out this new song by Guy L. Boom and Alex Hobbs. Here's End of the World. Yeah. Jimmy. I'm turning off my TV. Shit's getting rough. All the service negativity, I think I had enough. I got my own demons that I'm still dealing with. And if you still want to be here, I got to make one thing clear. Don't just say you love me, show me, just say that you're with me. Then prove me, I'm really trying to find my feelings, but it's getting scary out here. I don't want to be alone tonight, baby hold me tight tonight. Oh. Come on, baby, make love to me Like it's the end of the world oh, Like it's the end of the world oh, oh, Like it's the end of the world Like it's the end of the world Love me like the world is ending You can't be another mistake When we might only have two days Love me, 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 love me,